Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Conversations on Conversations, where each week we explore a topic to help us have more powerful conversations with ourselves and others. I am your host, Sarah Noel Wilson, and I, this is a long overdue conversation, <laughs> and I'm so excited that we were able to make it happen. So let me tell you about this week's guest, a little bit about her and what we will be exploring. So our guest this week is Jaquette M. Timmons, and Jaquette is on a mission to change how people think, behave, and talk about money. So we are going to be talking about our relationship with money today. It's why she focuses on the human side of money. She works as a financial behaviorist and is committed to getting you to see what you don't, getting you to see that you don't manage your money, you manage your choices around money. Sorry, I needed to catch that. In addition to being an author, uh, she wrote a book, Financial Intimacy, which I cannot wait to dig into this <laughs> idea of financial intimacy. It's not something you often see uh, together. So I love that. How to create a healthy relationship with your money and your mate. She's a frequent blogger. She's also the creator of Pricing Made Human. PMH is designed to help entrepreneurs and small business owners tackle that question, what should I charge for this, which I often have had to ask myself and try to answer, um, and to look at it from all sides, the financial, the emotional, the personal, so that they can price more confidently, strategically, and end up with a thriving business and a thriving life. She also hosts the podcast, More Than Money, so all of these we will share in the show notes, so you can check those out. Just a little bit of background, because I mean, we got to speak to the credentials. Jaquette owns an M she holds an MBA in finance from Fordham's University Graduate School of Business and an undergrad in marketing from the Fashion Institute of Technology technology. She lives in Brooklyn, New York, and can be seen running in Prospect Park most days of the week. Welcome to the show, Jaquette. I am so delighted to be here, Sarah. Thank you. Um, what else would you like people to know about you? Oh, my goodness. Um, what else? I love music. I love all kinds of music. Um, but when it comes to dancing, I particularly love house music. <laughs> Uh, okay. Uh huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> so one of my <laughs> fantasies. Laugh behind it. Is it because people don't expect it? Is there a little bit like mm, you might not know this about me? <laughs> exactly. Um, and one of my fantasies is to actually go to South Africa to uh, see and hear Black Coffee, the DJ Black Coffee. Mm. So that's something that probably some people wouldn't know about me. Um, I love to travel and. Uh, I want to get, now that we are in a different phase of this pandemic, I want to get back to traveling and I would love to get to a point where I'm going someplace new at least four times a year and new oh, like man. another country. <laughs> love that. Yeah. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm here for all of that. Now, something for those of you who are listening and for those of you who may be enjoying this episode via video, can you just feel her smile? I mean, that was one of the things, if you remember the first time that we connected, I was still very much healing from COVID and was yes. still dealing and low energy. And I remember it was just this like shot of joy. That was exactly the balm I needed in oh. that moment. Um, <laughs> Thank so, you. So I, I yeah, I, I'm so excited again, as I mentioned, this was a long overdue conversation because, boy, when we talk about conversations we avoid, and I can't remember if this was a conversation you and I had or if it was 
Oh no, actually we had a previous, previous guest um, who is a death doula. She's like, we don't talk about sex. We don't talk about death. And we don't talk about money. Like those are the three like areas that we aren't equipped at how to have conversations again with ourselves and others. So before we jump into specifically the work you do, walk us back. What was the journey? Where did you start? You know, what was the path that brought you to this point of of doing this work that you do so well of helping people re-examine their relationship with money? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because um, the death doula that you were just referencing, as well as a lot of people, often say that we don't talk about money. And I actually think that the truth is we talk about money all the time. We're just not having the right conversations about it. Mm. And how that connects to, you know, what put me on this journey, if you will, is really watching the stock market crash of 1987, being really green behind the ears. I'm just a year out of undergrad. Don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm on Wall Street. (laughs) And the stock market (laughs) crashes and people are going crazy. And just seeing drastically different reactions to it, how there was this camp of people that literally, if they could have, they would have jumped out of a window because of how much money they lost Mm. for themselves and for their clients. And then there was this other camp of people that were very calm. So you talk about conversations. Mm. I'm sitting there at 20 years old thinking, well, why are they not talking to one another? Like, why isn't Mm. this person trying to calm down the one that's all anxious? And what could that calm person perhaps share with the anxious person that would calm them down. And so I didn't have the language back then to really understand what was going on, but it just really, you know, reminded me in hindsight of A, the conversations that we are having, but also B, it's what planted the seed around success with money being about behavior and not Mm. just about the numbers. I, um, yeah, it's so interesting. And that was something that, you know, when we were prepping for this, this conversation, right, I asked you just a few moments ago for people who are wondering. <laughs> um, so say more about that, because it is. And that, you know, boy, that that's true in uh, as an individual to be like, well, how much money do I have in the bank? Or how much uh, money do I have in savings as a business owner? It's, you know, how much what revenue are we driving? How much profit are we gaining? And and while that's certainly important, I, I am starting to learn and untangle that that is not the only measurement of success. So say just say more and tease that out a bit for us. Yeah. So, you know, traditional personal finance will have you And here's where the nuance and and a little bit of the conflict comes into play, because traditional personal finance would have you thinking that all you need to do is follow the tenants. And the tenants are pay yourself first, save, um, have minimal to no debt and invest. And all of those things are absolutely important to practice. Mm. But part of the challenge is that the traditional personal finance route makes it seem as if all you did were those things and everybody would be successful and it treats money as if it's monolithic. And it isn't Mm. because Mm. we all have different circumstances and the the context Mm. of those circumstances Mm. are different. And that's what we're bringing to our day-to-day activity when it comes to money. That's what we're bringing to the decisions that we make both large and small. 
that's what we're bringing to the table when we're thinking about, well, what is the role of our business in helping us to achieve our personal financial goals? And I'm of the belief, and this comes from experience, <laughs> I'm of the belief that actually one of the best business decisions that you can make is to center the health of your personal finances. And the light bulb moment for me was caused by the fact that I had a year where I did really well, my business did really well. And I'm like, but why am I broke? <laughs> yeah. mm. my, wow. You're just like, my business I feel, I feel, I feel seen in a way that makes me very uncomfortable. And also I think I need to send you an invoice for how this conversation is going to play out. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So yes. Can continue on for a friend of mine who maybe has experienced something similar. But it was this really <laughs> aha moment of, wait a second, like, th th is there something that's missing here? I am not connecting the dots in the way that I should. And that really led to an examination of my business model, an examination of my sales process, of my pricing. And over time, you know, getting it to a point where I didn't feel like my business was sucking everything out of me. Because I also feel like sometimes the narrative out there is you give your business everything. Yeah. And yeah, we need to definitely give our business a lot, but we shouldn't also give it our financial future. And I think part of the challenge is figuring out, again, going back to nuance, how do you figure out that dance between what are the sacrifices that you make for your business in the short term, but how do you not let that be the thing that you are doing in a way that also prompts a sacrifice in the future? Yeah, boy, I wasn't expecting this to go here and I'm having some real feelings. <laughs> I'm having some re real, I have, oh, there's so many, gosh, I'm trying to make notes of, I want to talk about the way we're shamed about money. I oh, want to talk yeah. about as a business owner yeah. and, and, and even r related to that of, you know, so I'll speak from my experience that there is part of, Yep, I, I want to keep investing in my business because I I'm making that bet on me, mm -hmm. right? I'm making that bet on and the team now, right? I'm mm -hmm. making this bet that w if by making this investment, it's going to pay off even bigger in the long term. And I have recognized in myself that sometimes actually I'm investing in I'm investing money back into the business. I'm paying myself less because I'm actually uncomfortable with what uh, maybe I deserve to get. And so there's like, there's layers to that, right? Of, yeah, you should, right? You should give everything, you know, back into the business. But um, I don't, <laughs> so hypothetically, <laughs> If you were helping a client <laughs> struggling with this. For my, for my friend over there. For my friend who may have no challenge. No, but 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 you're you're uh it, well and the other thing that's coming up for me too is you know, where else do we where else are we told to just constantly be giving at the sacrificing of 
our financial future, our financial stability, our, you know, like, well being, because, you know, it's always funny to me when I hear or read stories about, uh, well, you only need to make this much money to be happy, right? Like after this, it's not. And I was like, I don't know about that. Like, especially depending upon where you live, (laughs) right? Where you live and, and, you know, the kind of like, not even just the lifestyle, but like who you want to take care of, who do you have to support? Who do you want to support? Let's go back to the business is sucking everything like you should give it you should, you know, what? Why is that an unhealthy or unproductive mindset? Well, part of the reason is because even if you have a team and even if you are not, quote unquote, the face of your business, you are the driver of it. So you are its biggest asset. And if you are constantly um, putting the business before taking care of yourself, you are going to reach a point where you are depleted. You are depleted Mm -hmm. financially. You are depleted Mm -hmm. energetically, creatively. And then what happens? Then the business doesn't exist. So it might seem like a smart decision in the short term to give it everything, but then you're being short-sighted and you're not thinking about, well, what's in the reserve, in the reservoir for when I need something in the future? Um, yeah. And I think the, the, one of the challenges is that, and, and this is what makes, you know, oftentimes the conversation around pricing really hard is one of the challenges is it can be masked, right? So it can be masked in that you are, you know, generating revenue, you are profitable. But then if you take a step back and say, okay, but am I paying myself? Am I paying myself as much as I could, um, given how well the business is doing or for, You know, many of us, when we started our businesses, we've invested some of our own money, whether it's savings money, whether it's, you know, we took money out of retirement savings or whatever. Have you begun to replenish that? Have you returned your, your investment to yourself? Or for some folks, you put a pause on long-term investing because you're like, no, I need that cash flow to keep my business going or to take it to another level or to get it through a rough patch. And you have gotten in such a rhythm that you haven't resumed it. So you've now like, oh my Mm. God, you look up and five years later and you're like, oh wow, I never went back. I had all the good intentions of going back and resuming that, but it stayed on pause for much longer. I don't know one person that hasn't done any variation of those things. And the problem is then that means that you've sabotaged your financial future without even really knowing it. I um, have lots of feelings that are coming up because of this conversation <laughs> that I wasn't expecting to have. And 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 it can be really easy, especially as a small business owner. You know you're going to have lean years. You know you're going to have external factors, pandemics, economic downturns, whatever the case might be. And I can I can imagine, and I know it's some I've definitely struggled with is making sure that I'm not always coming from a scarcity mindset. Yes. You know, especially when you have experienced a lean time, when you <laughs> have experienced like mm, bus- we weren't focused on business development or we, you know, lost sight on this or and and how easy it can be to I mean, boy, I I see I yes, I see it. I see that as a challenge that 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 I face as a business owner. I see it in my colleagues, you know, right? That are mm-hmm. like someday Mm -hmm. And I think that I think what you're hitting on is 
unless you're intentional about making someday happening happen, it's not, it may not happen. It may not. And, and, you know, and, you know, I, I, I'm reminded of a conversation with, um, a, a, a good friend of mine, Rachel Sheeran, she's a really incredible speaker. And we were, we were talking late one night at a like mastermind retreat that we were at and, uh, you know, late night pillow chat. And, and we were talking about this topic and, and Rachel is somebody who has a very different relationship with money and, um, which I appreciate. And, and she was like, so what's like your goal? And I said, you know, one of my goals is that I want to make enough financially, not only so that Nick and I are taken care of, but I want to make enough that we can take care of my parents, his parents, if they ever need it. And so we make enough that they wouldn't question us helping and supporting them. Mm-hmm. And and the thing she pushed me on was like, I hear you making all these investments and how much longer, how much more time will you have to take care of your parents? How much more, t-? you know, it was, it was sort of a, a gut check of you keep in, making these investments and I'm not saying they're wrong, right, to hire people and to do all of this, but at some point, you aren't ever, you won't be able to achieve the whole reason you, like, it's not the whole reason, but one of the reasons mm-hmm. that you started this. Mm-hmm. That, I think, is talking about having uncomfortable conversations. That's just an uncomfortable reality. And I think, yeah. you know, the goal of wanting to have enough, I would ask what's your number? And you don't have to share that with us, but what's your number? Because having a very specific number as opposed Mm. to the word enough is Mm. what can help to shape, well, what are the decisions and the trade-offs that you Mm. need to make now to get you closer to that number? And there may be a different number that's the target for what you and Nick need. And there may be a different number that's the target for your parents and his parents. And literally, if you were to have three buckets and know what that number Mm. is, and then, you know, reverse engineer to where are we starting from? Even if that starting point Mm. is zero, like don't discount Mm. the power of, okay, I'm starting from zero. It's okay to start from zero. Yeah. it can give you a sense of reality checking the timeline that you have, whether it is maybe the number can't be as high as I want it to be if I want that number to be hit in mm. 10 years, or maybe if I'm giving it 20 years, I you know can give myself some assurance that I can hit it. Like you, you once you have a number, you can stress test your time frame for getting from where you are mm. to where you want to be. And that, and that specific number is not about certainty, but it is directional. And it's about giving you clarity, again, for those choices mm. and those trade-offs. So I would say for all of us to just be really mindful of when we say, um, I just want enough, that we go yeah. to the next level and actually put a dollar amount on that enough. And it can change, but you got to have a starting point. I'm a little little speechless, you know, what, one part, um, and this is what, what I love about how you approach your work 
and 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 people listening, you can hear it in how she's explaining things. Is that human side of it, and the reality and the challenges, you know? Because I'm on Twitter and I get all of these. Twitter bro threads that show up on my feed, even though I don't follow or, you know, like, and, 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 and sometimes there's a lot of shame. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, well, there's also a whole ton of like ignoring privilege and mm-hmm. access to resources and all of that. And so, so part of my pause is just, so I just so appreciate the, the, the humanity you bring in with the, the, um, like the humanity you bring in with the practices and also the nuances. I I I would be remiss if I didn't go back to something you said that bears repeating, which is, you know, defining that number is not about certainty. It's directional. And boy, did I have a strong reaction of how applicable just that concept is to lots of areas in our life. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 that reality check, you know, my colleague, my colleague, uh, Dr. Teresa Peterson and I, we were just talking recently in another context, not related to finances, but just this idea of what how do we take a more balanced um, mindset instead of it being like a positive mindset, but a more balanced mindset to situations where we are balancing the optimism, the goal with the reality. And I appreciate that check of you may have that goal. You may have that number and you may have to reassess how you get there, or you may have to reassess that maybe that actually isn't the number right now. And maybe that's the, Mm -hmm. and I, and I appreciate that. And, you know, and then what are the sacrifices? You know, what's the starting point? Because, you know, when, (laughs) as a elder millennial, (laughs) um, I, I, we've been told so much, just stop buying the avocado toast, just stop going to Starbucks, stop Take going that. to whatever, and not taking into account one, where did you come from? Where did you start? Exactly. Right? Like, we are not all starting from the same place. We are not, our families are not starting from the same place. We know that way with inflation, right? We know wages have been stagnant for so long. And again, like... Uh, and that has impacted different groups very differently mm-hmm. and different mm-hmm. uh, industries and sectors very differently. And, um, you know, and, and just costs, right? The cost of education is is gone up so much. The cost of housing has gone up. You know, I mean, I look at the house we're in. We wouldn't be able to afford this house anymore. I would. I live in, you Brooklyn, know, like and we've only been here six or seven years. Yeah. I live in Brooklyn, New York. I live in Park Slope and everybody's always like Ooh, Park Slope. And yeah, I love it. And I've been here since 85. I could not move into my neighborhood at the price yeah. of rent or even to buy versus when I moved in here in, in 1985. Just couldn't. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. The, the, going back to the nuance, like there's the the pieces of the conversation that are omitted, whether it's intentional or not, mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. really important pieces to not overlook. And when you when you mentioned the shame, um I think about the shame that goes along with when you tell people, well, don't buy that latte because if you if you do that then, you know, you can't save. 
first of all, why does it have to be either or? Why can't there be yeah. a little bit of both and? But the other mm-hmm. thing is people, I think, sometimes don't realize the damage that's done when you shame people in general, but when you shame starting with just a little. And again, that's why I emphasize Mm. the point of it's okay to start from zero because on some level we're starting from zero and a lot of different things. If you're creating a new Mm. offer or a new product or new talk, you're starting from zero. Mm. Mm -hmm. I love all of that. (laughs) And so, okay. So what, so what, uh, what are, what are the components that we omit consciously, unconsciously, or we don't take into consideration either for ourselves or for others where they're at? Let's just like name those. Well, one, um, someone's circumstances and context, right? So it's just like, you know, when some people comment on um, other people's health or wealth, um, not wealth, health or, um, or fitness, it's just like, well, you don't know if they've got a medical condition that you are not aware of that mm. might be causing them to either look the way that they look or, you know, to have the response to exercise the way that they have. Like, there's just so much that you don't know. And so I think um, in terms of the piece that's missing, it is not being aware of how you might be projecting what's yeah. worked for you and, you know, being unaware of what that person is making work given their circumstances. Because like if, if we bring it back to money, you don't know if not only are they growing a business and taking care of their family, but maybe they are taking care of a sick parent. Yeah. And it's taking financial resources. So I don't know if that answers your question, but to me, that's a piece that's missing. Like not really um, paying attention to what assumptions or projections mm-hmm. that we might make as an outsider seeing one thing and not really knowing what all is behind the curtain of that one thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I, yeah, yeah. I mean, all of that. And it's, um, you know, some, you know, like I, uh, when I was younger, uh, wasn't wasn't familiar, wasn't aware of the idea of generational wealth. Um, and as I've gotten older and more aware, like that has become so much more um, apparent, right? That the impact that that has, again, on literally on generations. And I mean, I'm, I won't get into the whole like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and why that's all problematic, but like, but, but taking into account and, you know, and it's something that I, I've been finding myself that when we have moments where we are maybe recipients mm-hmm. of that generational wealth or we are givers, right? Mm-hmm. You know, of we're in a position where we can give our nibblings some money towards their education. And I'm always like, congratulations. And, Let's name this what this is. You you know, like mm-hmm. let's let's name this this advantage that this privilege that you have in this moment. And um yeah, and 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 I think that it can be really difficult. I'm curious to hear your thoughts about, you know, and, and then how does that how how do those that context shape our internal dialogue? So right, so obviously it has impact on how other people may view or judgments they might make or assumptions they might make. 
But something that, um, speaking from my lived experiences, and that can really shape your internal conversation around money and your internal belief around what money can do for you, should look like for you, right? And um, so I'm curious to hear, you know, what do you see in your clients of, yeah, just how that also impacts our internal dialogue? So one of the things that I always say to people is that money is one of the longest relationships that you will have in your life. Mm. You know, next to your parents or whomever may have raised you from birth or from a young age, money is probably, again, the longest relationship that you will have. And just like your relationship with your parents today is very different than when you were a younger adult, a teenager, a child, an infant your relationship with money will change over the course of your lifetime. And I think when it comes to context, it is understanding the context that may have shaped the beginnings of your beliefs about money, Hmm. shaped your initial behaviors with it, shaped the initial expectations of what it is that you want money to do for you, your experiences over time either validate those or Mm. give you another reality. So that context changes and the circumstances of those contexts, of that context changes. And I think sometimes we are so stuck that we don't let it change. And just like Mm. any other relationship in your life, even though it may go through some challenging times, a sign of it being healthy is that it changes. And so the same should be the case when it comes to our relationship with money and similarly our relationship with our business. It should not be the same. When we look at the, you know, if we're looking at, we're having our conversation on February 2nd, 2023, when we look at our relationship with our businesses and money today, and if you had a business five years ago, go back, it, And hopefully it looks different because then that means that you have incorporated the lessons from the challenges that you've bumped up against in that five-year period. And then hopefully in 2028, God willing, you will have a different relationship with money and with your business because whatever the lessons are that you were learning right now, you will have figured out, well, how do I incorporate that? How do I, you know, integrate that into my decision-making process? I feel like I'm at the Church of Jacquette right now. (laughs) I mean, again, the how we don't let it change it. I mean that, and and part of this is it. It is hitting me on a really personal level, and some of it is because I have seen the consequences and the impact when the relationship and belief with money hasn't changed, mm-hmm. right? I've seen that in loved ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, th- I mean, there's some some deep, deep heart, heart hits that are happening. And boy, that point you made of a sign of it being healthy is that you should see it change. And I mean, that feels profound on multiple levels, just even outside of money, like relationships, your personal growth, right? Like all of this. Mm-hmm. And and what a great, you know, you know, part of the intention of us 
starting this show is what are some of those questions we should be asking ourselves? And, you know, and what a great, what a great point of reflection, a gift you've just given us all to go, how has it changed? Hmm? Has it changed en- enough? Am I okay with how it's changed? Has it not changed? Right. <laughs> right. And, exactly. and to evaluate that. And, and I don't know. I mean, I, I would, you know, I'd be curious as people are listening to this and reflecting how many people think about the fact that there is, it is a relationship, that there is a relationship. And to your point, it, it, it's like breathing, right? You're always thinking about, do I have enough money or do I, how do I want to spend the money? I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's like a fish in water and the money is water and you don't even realize you're swimming in it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of, um, mm. <laughs> speak so so speaking of <laughs> relationships, I I want I want you to talk with us. I would like to invite you to explore that idea of intimacy because that's not a phrase I've ever heard related with our financial s- success and stability. So say just yeah, like just say more about that. I think that's such an interesting concept that you bring forward in your work. So, you know, financial intimacy is the title of my book. And when I wrote my book, it was to really explore the intersection of love and money, but through like a social Mm -hmm. critics lens of going back in time, um, what has changed over the last 40 years, economically, politically, socially, and from a familial standpoint that influenced how we and especially as women, show up in relationships connected to money. Mm. And as I was exploring it, what I realized is that the intimacy wasn't there. People weren't having the right conversations. Yeah, they were talking about money, but they weren't having the conversations that were really, as one of the things that I've heard you say in some of your podcast interviews, meaningful. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, although the book was centered around couples, one of the things that I really wanted people to get from it is that you actually can't create intimacy with someone else until you've created it with yourself. And Mm -hmm. I think there's this uh, notion, a cultural notion that um, things have to be perfect Mm. and well, one, we're human, so we're not going to be perfect. But my mm-hmm. whole point was that you don't have to wait until your relationship with money is perfect before you can form this perfect relationship with someone else around money. It's because it's almost like this three this three circle Venn diagram, right? With you, the other person, and money. And then there's this overlapping area, right? Um, but this whole notion of intimacy is that intimacy requires you to be vulnerable, It requires you to um, be mindful of the things where you are attaching self-judgment to your situation, where you are projecting judgment on other people. It requires you to be real and honest with yourself about your expectations, about your beliefs, and to give yourself permission to what, what you want. And when I talk about intimacy... It, it, it is intimacy with self, it's intimacy with other people, but it's also recognizing that not everybody is entitled to that intimacy. Mm. However, 
We need to be more. They're not entitled. Sorry, just a point of clarification. They're not entitled to that, to that intimacy or they're not entitled to be aware of your intimacy. I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, But I do think we need to have more transparent conversations. So can I share a little example of what I Yes, please. Yes, please. So I don't know the movie that this is connected to, but the movie was with Jessica Chastain and Octavia Spencer. Mm. And um, they were having dinner one-on-one. And Octavia, I think, took a very bold and risky move in that she shared with Jessica how much she was getting paid for her role in the movie. Well, Jessica was aghast because she was getting paid multiples more than. And to her credit, she went to bat so that they were both on equal ground. They had both a transparent and intimate conversation around money because they got Mm -hmm. into the numbers. And you know what? The only people that know the numbers are them, their agents, and the studio. When Mm -hmm. Octavia shared this conversation at like an Aspen Institute event, she just told the experience of being vulnerable enough to share with someone, this is how much I'm getting paid for this movie. She didn't know how Jessica was going to respond. And yet Mm -hmm. because of that response, they were able to have a deeper conversation. So transparency is you share the larger story so that other people can see the benefit of having conversations around Mm -hmm. money. Mm -hmm. The intimacy is no one knows what the numbers are for either one of Mm -hmm. them. We just know a factor and it was X factor. Mm. That's it. But in the middle of both of that is power, right? Because Jessica had the power to go to bat. Mm -hmm. Octavia was stayed in her own self-agency and exercised her power in terms of making that choice to initiate that conversation. And then all of the other elements and, you know, people that were involved had some degree of power to make it happen. Again, I don't know if I answered your question, but <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, I well, I mean, gosh, there's multi. Yeah, that's um, there's there's so many there's so many beautiful lessons in that. Well, and 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 that also, um, you know, there's a lot of talk in the workplace right now of sharing salaries, right? Sharing, right? One of the ways we can overcome pay inequities is by being much more transparent about it. And there's a lot of tension. You know, some people are pro like, wow, oh, let's just be really transparent and, you know, like, and, and, and perhaps intimate <laughs> from the standpoint of like, let's share numbers and let's be real about it. And, um, and then there's right other schools of thought, typically from leaders <laughs> of like, you're creating a headache, so please don't. And, and then that intersection with power. And I don't know how we talk about relationship with finances, um, value, I mean, all of that, if without, without talking about the role power plays, we can't, you can't, you can't, there's no way to omit it. There's no way, which is why I have the same reaction as you to this whole notion of um, 
pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I also have a very similar reaction when, um, because, you know, it's Black History Month, right? And so Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes there's a lot of conversation around uh, financial literacy in Black communities, and it drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. I absolutely hate it because, number one, I have issue with the term financial literacy, but number two, it makes it seem as if we are a community of people that are operating at a deficit. And it's yeah. like, do you realize? Like a deficit of competence, not a deficit of resources and access to resources well, and power all and it. all of that. Yeah. All of it. All of it. All yeah. of it, right? Yeah. And it's like, there's no recognition of the history that goes with starting something, again, from nothing. From, yeah. There's no you know, connection to the fact that, again, history, we had communities of wealth and folks burned mm-hmm. it down. And we had to rebuild again, right? Mm -hmm. And so I really, really- Over and over over and over over. again. Right. And so I really dislike this whole notion that doesn't, that so centers personal choice and personal choice is important, but it centers it so much in the absence of the systemic choices and power that those personal choices bump up against. I'm not absolving folks of their personal agency and their personal responsibility, mm-hmm. but it always going back to, I feel like I overuse this word, but it always goes back to context. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's, there's, there's so much you can, there's, <sighs> I can have a bucket and I can, I don't know if this is the right metaphor. This is what's coming up from my brain. Like, And if I'm in a container that's constantly getting water dumped on me, like there are things I can do to try to move the water out faster. But at some point when there's so much water coming in, there's only so much that I can do. Right. And and it is real convenient. Well, it's real convenient to overlook the historic. Yeah. You know, and it's real, um, you know, both consciously, intentionally and unintentionally. It's really it's really convenient. Mm -hmm. Um. And, and, you know, and again, that that generational impact of constantly having to start from zero, because even if, you know, like I like I look at, you know, I look at my family lineage and um, like ev- like every generation on some level has been able to move a little bit further. Right. Like we didn't come from much. Um, but like we're we're building like every generation is building on that and when that is completely decimated and wiped out um like it it has such a significant impact such a significant impact Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we'll be back with jacquette timmons in a moment all right i we have to give space to charging your worth um when you and I had our first conversation, I, I said some comment and I, I said it again today. And as soon as you're like, I was like, right, I forgot, <laughs> I forgot that call out. A lot of times we hear that that phrase of like charging our worth. And you're like, mm, I have I actually have a lot of issue. Um, so talk to me about why that that is a problematic statement for us to reframe, um, because I think it's really, really powerful and important. Yes. Thank you for uh, 
raising it here in the context of, uh, of our formal conversation. So the reason that I have a problem with charge what you're worth, and for those that are not watching on YouTube, I'm black. <laughs> My heritage is Jamaican American. And from an ancestral standpoint, I have ancestors where there was a dollar amount placed on their humanity. So mm-hmm. when I hear the phrase charge what you're worth, I have a very visceral reaction to it, even though I am probably 99.9% certain that when the person says that, that is not what they mean, but that is how I react to it. So there's the visceral reaction. But even if I set that aside, I also feel like it misses the point. Because when you are charging for what it is that you are bringing to the world, whether it's a service, a product, a combination, whatever it is that you are offering, what you are charging for is the job that that offering is doing in the life of the person or the entity that's buying it. What question is it helping them to address? What frustration is it helping them to tackle? What desire is it helping them to fulfill? What challenge are you helping them to successfully overcome? Because everything that you do has two jobs, an external job of what I've just described, and it has a job within your business. So when you're charging, you're charging for the complexity of how you Mm -hmm. are helping them with one of those things. And yes, in terms of who you are, you're bringing yourself to that equation. You're bringing your education, both formal and informal. You're bringing your experience. You're bringing your expertise, your expertise, your, your talents, your gifts, your perspective, all the things that make you uniquely you. You're bringing that to the table, but that is not what you're charging for. You're charging mm-hmm. for the value of the container that you were helping them do something because what you would charge for an hour is very different if you're charging for working with you for a year or something. So that's why I feel like it's, you know, nails, my short nails on a chalkboard (laughs) (laughs) when someone says charge what you're worth, because I feel like they're missing the entire point. Even if that's not their intention, I think they miss it in terms of the language because of the mindset that shapes that language. Yeah, that that was such a provocative push. And. And, you know, and and, and interesting, you know, that it's such an ingrained phrase. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that it I, we realized like, oh, I'd gotten away from the like provocative insight and went right back into that pattern of, okay, what do we charge? Charge what we were worth. And, and also that, um, you, that, that point you made about it's, you know, part of it is the complexity of what you're helping them be able to resolve. And, you know, which is why, I mean, in, in the spirit of, uh, now, by the time this airs, it won't be February, but it's a good reminder for folks any time of the year. Um, you know, if you're hiring Black speakers for Black History Month, you need to be paying them and not with exposure because the emotional labor is also like substantial in the situations that, um, you know, the, I mean, probably what I think the most complex situation we face as a as a nation is navigating racism and um capitalism and patriarchy and all of those but that that is the 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 top of it that is the most 
complex and you know and 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 I and and I know that this is like sometimes that uh you know as a business owner making sure that we see that complexity mm-hmm. and can speak to that you know it's kind of like yeah somebody who does speak people are like you charge what for an hour mm-hmm. oh no this isn't an hour and i'm going to be working with 100 leaders who if they can leave doing this just 5% better what value did that bring to you exactly and yeah. and what has opened up and what has released for you and it's you know so yeah we can talk just time this isn't just an hour we can talk that we can talk lived experience we can talk right all of, all of those things um and you know and if if what 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 someone is being asked to do is um really complex and emotionally complex then man we better make sure that we are paying them <laughs> appropriately for that yeah and can i tie this back also to something that you said earlier on connected to like first generation and just things that yeah. are new and how this shows up so and and i'm taking this from a, a coaching client that i worked with first generation and the messaging was all about education. And so she did all mm-hmm. of the mm. things, right? Ivy undergrad, Ivy business school, major consulting firm, then joined a partnership and then went out on her own and couldn't quite understand why went out on her own, the same scope of work that she would have done inside the partnership, she was getting pushed back on in terms of the pricing. Mm. So there were two things that are going on because then instead of pushing back on the pricing, understandably so, um, yeah. she would acquiesce and she would lower, right? Yeah. So w- yeah. But there are two things going on there. There was um, one, the self-consciousness about, well, mm-hmm. I'm brown, right? In her case, she was mm-hmm. brown and she's like, well, maybe this is all I can get. And mm-hmm. then there was the messaging because while she did all of the things that her family said to do from an educational standpoint, there was another message. And that other message was, don't be like those rich people. And yeah. so now from a financial standpoint, she's like those rich people. And there's a benefit to her family for that because now she's able to take care of them in a way that she wouldn't if she didn't. But that is shaping her ability without her even knowing it. That is yeah. shaping her ability to go in and negotiate and really demand a higher price point because it's also connected to, it's not saying the same thing so explicitly charge what you're worth, but if yeah. you are you know, harboring this message that says, don't be like those rich people, well, then that is going to stunt you when yeah. you are having to negotiate on your own without the protection of a partnership or a larger consultancy that's setting the prices and you have, you're not the one that's negotiating, you know, having to navigate those negotiations is what I'm trying to say. So that's why mm-hmm. it's all connected. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just like spoke my life. <laughs> not entirely, obviously, right. like I have a different experience as a white woman, but, but certainly like as a woman, um, as a uh, woman who grew up in a blue collar family, mm-hmm. right? Truck driver, union guy. Mm-hmm. Um, we lived down, right? People who mm-hmm. lived on the bluff, they were, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and that that is, I didn't even realize how some of those old tapes mm-hmm. were impacting um, 
seeing the value. Right. And 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 sabotaging like on it, right? Like so you have external sabotage because I mean, gosh, insert whatever industry and we know that women are paid less and then that decreases when you're a mother and that decreases when you're black and that decreases when you're Hispanic and right like and, and when when you're older and all of those factors. And so you have the external barriers you're fighting. And then like you're talking and we have these internal barriers yep. we're fighting. Mm-hmm. Um what are some of the reflection questions? What are some of the reframe? Like what's some of the internal work? Cuz I I assume there are other people who are like, "Yep. Mhm. I know that tape. Yep. <laughs> I you know, even <laughs> I was joking with somebody. It was like, like just last night I said, oh, "I don't I don't fit in like luxury hotels like they can I feel like they can see the dirt under my nails like there's like right which is like old tapes mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. um being lower income and, and growing up but what are some of the reframes and um questions we can be asking so we can release some of that because yeah it's like we can fight the structure and we can continue pushing and doing all that and hopefully making as much movement with it but let's not make it harder by creating an internal barrier. So how do we how do we overcome that? There's an exercise that I do with clients and I call it five and five. And the top five is inviting people to think about the people, the five people that they spend the most time with. What are those relationships and in what ways do those relationships energize you or deplete you? The bottom five are five people that are running around in your head. You may not even know them. You may not have ever had a conversation with them, but they're running around in your head, influencing how you think, what you think is possible, all kinds of stuff. Like write that down as well. And -hmm. again, who is the person? um, Maybe it's someone you know, maybe it's a beloved that's no longer with us, or maybe it's, it's someone that you know, but for whatever reason, you're not on speaking terms. And yet they're still, again, running around in your head. And like with the top five, how do they energize you and how do they deplete you of energy? And then ask yourself the question, if my relate, if my business were a person, which Mm. of these relationships would it most reflect? If the way I think about sales, which of these relationships would it most reflect? If the way I think about pricing and how I approach pricing, which relationships would this most reflect? And it's not to make anybody, you know, beat up on any of those relationships if you're like, oh my God, right? right, right? right. But it is to be aware so that you can Mm. figure out what do you need to do so that that relationship is not hurting you. And here's why I came Mm. up with the exercise. Because I realized that my relationship, or a better way of putting it, the absence of my relationship with my father was showing up in my sales process. Everybody Mm. knows that in sales, part of the deal is you got to follow up. And I would get to the point where I was just like, oh, I want them to choose me, choose me, choose me, right? And so I had this really weird relationship with the follow-up process because it was more coming from the standpoint of them choosing me as opposed to it being a mutual selection. 
And I had to design a follow-up process that really protected me from crossing that line, from feeling like I was begging to be chosen. And I don't think we sometimes think about the ways in which the relationships that are in our lives, both literally and just perhaps even just figuratively in our head, shapes just how we navigate this business world of ours. And so I came up with that exercise because I was like, oh, shoot, I went to therapy. I thought I had this outfit. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly not. Oh, like... My head hurts because this is so good. And I just want to go and spend time and reflect on this. But that, it makes so much sense because we know, right, that like these tapes, our default patterns don't just get shaped by us. They get shaped by those around us. Now, and and a lot of our tapes are from when we were children and right we don't even realize that we're this is something i'm unpacking with my you know my therapy and reflecting on and just how does it show up like when am i when is young sarah actually reacting versus like right. old sarah like current sarah could it also be valuable to reframe what do you what's the relationship you like want to exhibit that does that make sense oh, like if 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 yeah. if, if mm-hmm. It it totally does. And I totally get where you're going. And it's interesting because whenever someone comes to me and they are beating themselves up either for what they feel they're not doing, or maybe the the numbers are, the results are in the numbers. They're not doing well. I will always invite them to think about, well, who do you think is doing it right? Mm. And what are they doing right? And Mm -hmm. you have the benefit of it being a relative that you can actually have a conversation with around, well, how are you doing this? And what do you do in this scenario versus this scenario? Others don't necessarily have that, but even still, you can make some assumptions and that's what they would be if you can't get them verified, but you can make some assumptions about, oh, I see this person over here and their business looks like X and I want that or I want I want something similar to that. And I think that they're making these choices. That mm. can be just as valuable as literally being able to have a conversation with someone to know precisely what choices did they make, mm-hmm. why they choose mm-hmm. A over B or B over mm. A. Like that mm-hmm. is incredibly valuable. And so, yeah, I definitely think being able to also tap into, well, who do I want to be like um, yeah. is beneficial because you know what? What you might discover is that, oh, I like their result, but I don't like their trade-off. <laughs> <laughs> also, also accurate. Exactly. Also incredibly accurate. Um, <laughs> well, and I think that a trap that can happen. <laughs> I love you so much. Uh, uh, also, I think a trap that can happen is uh in looking in looking towards someone or or an organization or whatever is to make sure that you don't get into the comparison game right, right. of like oh they've figured this out they're doing this that right like cuz that can boy that can be a real easy shame spiral to fall into but it is and so that's a catch right i think that's a mm-hmm. catch with it and um uh and boy it speaks to how, especially for business owners, people who are listening to this, but again, like, and it doesn't even have to be business owners. Like 
we, you know, like like sexual intimacy, we don't talk about financial intimacy. Mm-hmm. And then you're left just going like, is there something wrong with me? Is there something like wrong with us? Is there something? And then you talk to other people like, oh, this is, oh, you you struggle with this too? Or, oh, I actually think this is normal and what we see on TV is not accurate? Or whatever the <laughs> case is like, so how do we, you know, like p- part of what I'm holding on to is just continuing to build out those relationships because they're so important. They're so valuable because otherwise, like when you're in your own head, right, that's when the shame can come in. That's when the frustration. And then I feel like when shame comes in, doubt follows real closely behind, Absolutely. like real close behind. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're right. I mean, I, 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 I have realized actually that when I am feeling doubt as a business owner, um, I have a few people who I've identified that the minute I start spiraling, I go, nope, okay, wait. These are people who will be honest with me, who will be intimate with me. I love I love applying that language mm-hmm. there, um, transparent, and, um, and that can stop it. Um, and so that's also, you know, like, how do we, how do we have these conversations, you know, about, again, and I, and I love, I love that point you made of, we can even have like uh, an, an intimate conversation without like the explicit numbers always too, right? Like yeah. I'm thinking about when I was, I don't know, my late 20s and a good friend of ours, you know, was like, man, you know, my goal is to be financially independent. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, what's that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. So what are you guys, what are you all doing? Right. You know, and just, and, and I didn't know a number, but we started having this great conversation. I was like, wow, I hadn't even... I didn't even know that was a possibility. I didn't mm-hmm. even know that was a concept. I didn't know that was something you can strive towards. And and being, you know, open to to talking about those things mm-hmm. is such a is such a valuable gift. I'm just yeah, just reflecting on how important that is and and trying to be even more intentional about that. Yeah, and if I can even just add, you know, um with the intimacy without necessarily diving into the numbers. So uh, I'm a single child and raised by a single mother. My parents separated when I was two, but they didn't get divorced until I was 13. But father, not very mm-hmm. present. Um, I say all of this to say that um, my mother worked for social. My mother was first a professional musician. And then when they separated, you know, she wound, wound down her uh, working as a professional musician because she was traveling all over the country and, um, you know, leaving me with the babysitter. So all that is to say, uh, she retired and started working for social security. So my mother was a federal employee for 38 years. I say all of this because of this. Um, even though we didn't come from a private banking background, my mother was hell bent on making sure that she had her estate planning done and, Mm. um, all of that. And so she did. And I look at that as, you know, a gift of love because it allowed me Mm. when she died to grieve uninterrupted because things were taken Mm. care of that I didn't have to try to like figure out um, afterward. But when you talk about the intimacy without the numbers, the one thing I did not know was that my mother didn't have a mortgage. I did not find that out until she died because I inherited everything. But yeah, not only the gift of her doing the estate planning process, 
but the gift of not having a mortgage. And I think about how the hell did she do that on a social security salary, right? (laughs) But I didn't know the numbers. And so I just share that as an example of, you're right, the intimacy, because clearly I knew about the estate planning and all that because I was a part of the process, but I did not know that detail. And so you can still have those, you know, rich, meaningful conversations and still leave a piece of the puzzle out and it still Mm. be intimate. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, was I, you know, was that was that accurate of me, actually, as, as I was reflecting of like, well, or what are you potentially missing out on? Right. Or and, it, you know, and I and I get it. It, you know, it, 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 it can be incredibly vulnerable. I mean, it, it actually is very vulnerable, whether that is. I don't know, having conversations around debt, having conversations around how much you spent on something, having conversations around salary, having conversation, you know, in my world, like our world, right? I remember starting out and some people, I was really fortunate to have one of my one of my good friends, Alan Fire. He was he was like, I will tell you exactly what I charged from day one and I will tell you where I'm at now and I will tell you where I'm going or where I want to go. Mm-hmm. And he, and he said, because so many people wouldn't share that with right. me because they held it so close to their chest. And I just had a conversation this morning with somebody who wants to get into coaching. I said, I'm like, I'm an open book. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to have these conversations. We, we need to, we need to push it. But I get why it's so vulnerable because will people think that I'm charging too much? Will people think that I'm like, they'll pass judgment on me because I, you know, have, have debt. And like, how did you get out of it? And mm-hmm. how do you right, like mm-hmm. manage it? And boy, I, you know, we just, we have so much additional suffering. <laughs> because we aren't having the conversations we need to again, either with ourselves about this or, or other people. And I do, I kind I just keep tying it into uh, like relationship intimacy. And and how, again, how much like loneliness or suffering or doubt, unnecessary doubt right. is happening because we aren't, we aren't talking about this. Yeah, and it's awkward. It, and, but you know what? I think, I think part of the problem is somewhere along the line, we were sold that it shouldn't be awkward. And that's why we're not comfortable mm-hmm. with it being awkward. It's not supposed to be Mm. easy. It's not supposed to be, Mm. you know, comfortable. And if we just embraced it, it would make it a lot easier. Mm. But somehow or another, culturally, the message is all this stuff, all this human stuff is somehow supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be pop it in the microwave for 30 seconds and it's going to come out just juicy. (laughs) <laughs> or as one of my clients would say, her mother would say 12 seconds, everything can be heated properly in 12 seconds. Well, you know, and, and I would actually I want to yes and it like, yes, yeah, it, that's such an astute point. And, and sometimes I think we have made it seem like a bigger boogie monster, but not um, like <laughs> my child, um, like a bigger monster than it actually is. And we've like, um, we, uh, we, we doubt our ability to sit in the discomfort of it. 
right? It's like, no, 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 no. You do not talk about this. That is the taboo subject because, right. I think you're, you're absolutely right in that it is like, well, no, it should be easy and it should be right. Like I don't talking about your needs in a relationship, like look at what happened in that movie. And and then they're married (laughs) and they're kids and nobody's talking about the, you know, guy that the woman left. Right. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about his pain because like, this is just, and she's not leaving with guilt. But um, mm-hmm. I'm always fascinated with that. Like, let's see the, um, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And then sometimes I feel like we've made it a bigger thing than it needs to be, and we've and and we we've lost our our we um, oh, the, the words are escaping me right now. But I think that we underestimate our efficacy mm. in sitting in the discomfort. Right. Right. It's like we like yeah, it's gonna be uncomfortable. And we 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 don't think we can handle it, or mm-hmm. we don't think the other person can handle mm-hmm. it, and and that I think can be you know like just as as damaging as well. And so it's, I mean, you know, hopefully hopefully the lesson that I know like, I I continue to sit with is just like step into it, trust yeah. trust that, you know, and and yeah, sometimes it's risky. Um, but when you said the word trust. It, it reminded me that so much of that is um, trusting ourselves. Yeah. And sometimes that can be more difficult for some than, uh, than for others. And so- A hundred percent. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's a matter of building up that self-trust muscle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, all the, all the work that you do with people- Right. Yeah. In the ways that you help them reconnect with. I, 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 what I, I do, I so value and appreciate your approach to something that so often is treated so transactionally. Mm-hmm. You approach it so transformationally because it is and it can be. Right. And so I just thank you for the work that you do. And, Aww. you know, I, I know I want to ask you our last question, but I do just want to. I I am sitting in such deep gratitude and appreciation that our paths have crossed and you're doing the work you're doing, how you're doing it. And for people who are listening, you can work with her. (laughs) This is something you're thinking about. Um, You can, you know, you see that. All right. So before we get to how people can reach out to you who want to learn more about the work you're doing Mm -hmm. um, and how you can support them, I always want to uh, honor by asking the last question we ask all of our guests, which is, what is a conversation, Jacquette, that you have had with yourself or with someone else that was transformative? Doesn't need to be the most, but just what's one? Um, does a conversation with my therapist count? Oh, yeah. Because that's like <laughs> both yourself and someone else and someone who's not in the room. So it's like a whole family dinner. <laughs> exactly. So, um, a conversation with my therapist and it was um, reframing something that I thought was a negative and turning it into a positive. Mm. And so for a variety of reasons, I've always felt like an outsider. Mm. And through our work, I'm beginning to embrace that and appreciate that and to recognize how that actually has been a blessing for me in my work 
and the body of work that I've been able to build over the last 30 plus years. Um, and so I think it's, it's recognizing that what I initially felt like, oh, you know, <laughs> I'm the outsider again, <laughs> mm-hmm. has really been beneficial. And so it's that reframing. Hmm. No, I love that. I mean, you have you have such a uh, valuable perspective on the balcony, right? Mm-hmm. To see to see patterns and to see interactions. Mm-hmm. That's thank you for sharing that. How can people connect with you? What is the best way for folks to connect with you who are interested in getting your book, checking out your podcast, working with you? I'm going to suggest that folks go to my website, jacquettetimmons.com, and more specifically, jacquettetimmons.com forward slash wheel, and do Mm. the financial wheel exercise, which is free. But the purpose of doing the financial wheel exercise is that it helps you to either connect or reconnect with the financial vision of what it is that you want money to do for you. And that can just Mm. help to shape so many decisions because you can do the exercise and then ask yourself the question, if I change nothing about my business, my business model, sales process, and pricing, can I make this vision a reality? Mm. And if the answer Mm. is no, it gives you an immediate feedback on what you can do to change that. (laughs) And if you're listening and you don't own a business, it's still really valuable because we all need to be connected with our vision and give ourselves permission to imagine what it is we want money to do for us. So that's what I would invite people to do. And um, I love me some Instagram. So (laughs) I'm still there. (laughs) Come follow me on Instagram (laughs) or LinkedIn. But yeah. That's yeah. how folks can be in touch. Well, we will we will be sure to post your website and then we can po- post that specific link in the show notes. We'll send folks to your various social accounts. You know, again, I mean, let me know what we owe you for this hour <laughs> of... <laughs> you know what? Like I personal coaching. I feel like I just, I left with some like, I think I've got my next conversation with my therapist plotted out of what I'm going to start unpacking. Um, Oh my God. I'm just so grateful because you know, I've been looking forward to this since we first chatted and shout out to Neha who introduced us. So um, I'm just so grateful. So thank you. Oh, no, I feel like the pleasure is all mine in this. So thank you so much for saying yes to the show. And, And again, just thank you for all the work you do and Thank you for yeah, your just grateful to have you here. Mutual love fest. <laughs> <laughs> Our guest this week has been Jacquette Timmons. And I I'm not sure if I've ever been speechless as often as I have in that conversation because there was so much that she was sharing that was new perspectives and um and hitting things, you know, gosh, one of the things that really is resonating for me is that idea of a sign of a healthy relationship with finances is that our relationship with it should change. And that's such a gift, not only thinking about it with relationships, but really thinking about it with all aspects of our life. If our, you know, we should be evolving as people, we should be evolving in how we view ourselves, we should be evolving in the relationships we have with our our spouses, our partners, our friends, our family members. Um, and what a gift that is to just reflect and go, am, am I moving forward? Is it different? Um, that, that was just a significant, significant gift she brought to this conversation. 
I just want to have a conversation now about this conversation by myself, but I won't because we're closing the show down now. So, but we do want to hear from you. We love hearing from you. Let us know what resonated. What were ahas for you? What was coming up for you as you heard our conversation? You can always reach out to us at podcast at sarahnollwilson.com. You can also find me on social media where my DMs are always open. And if you'd like to find out more about the work we do and how we can help your team have conversations that matter, check us out at sarahnollwilson.com. You can also pick up a copy of my latest book, Don't Feed the Elephants, wherever books are sold. And if you'd like to support the show, which we always appreciate, please consider becoming a patron. You can visit patreon.com slash conversations on conversations, where not only your financial support will sustain this podcast and our amazing team, you'll also get access to some pretty great swag. And if you haven't already, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast platform. This helps us increase our visibility so we can continue to bring on just amazing guests like Jacquette. I want to do a big thank you to our incredible team that makes the podcast possible, to our producer, Nick Wilson, to our sound editor, Drew Knoll, to our transcriptionist, Becky Reinert, our marketing consultant, Caitlin Summit nelson and the rest of the Snowcoat crew. And just a... A final thank you to Jaquette Timmons for coming on the show, for sharing so openly and leaving us all with incredible gifts so we can change the relationship and the conversations we're having around our finances. This has been Conversations on Conversations. Thank you all so much for listening. And remember, when we can change the conversations we have with ourselves and others, we can change the world. So be sure to rest, rehydrate, And we will see you again next week.